0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, God's Covenants. The Bible is structured by a series of covenants, all of which are focused on and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The goal of these covenants is to create and redeem a people in whom God might dwell so that they will glorify and enjoy him forever. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today.
1: Today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 15, and I'm actually going to begin by reading the the entire text uh, in just a moment, Uh, Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at uh, God's covenant with Abram. We saw last week where God called Abram and gave him his initial call in Genesis chapter 12 and gave him his covenant promises. This week we're going to see him formally instituting the covenant and talk about what that means and why understanding this is so important for us. So Genesis chapter 15, you can follow along in your welcome booklet or up on the screen. I encourage you also to go ahead and open your Bible up so you can kind of follow and track along. Hear now the word of our covenant God. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. On February the 23rd, 1945, so exactly uh, 70 years and one week ago, was the day of the Iwo Jima flag raising. How many of you have ever seen this picture here? Okay, if you haven't, you're gonna be in big trouble with me since I'm a prior Marine. Everybody should know what this picture is. Uh, on the, the morning when they went up on top of Mount Suribachi and they raised the flag, A man named Joe Rosenthal was there, and he captured the picture of the five Marines and the one corpsman. It was actually the second flag raising that went up. And this picture became iconic. If you've been to D.C., you've seen probably the Marine Corps War Memorial. Where does this picture? Because it captured not only this battle, but the history of the Marine Corps, the struggle that was going on. It was one moment in time just a brief moment in the battle but the picture came to represent far more than these guys even kind of realized when they were just raising the flag up at that moment and i bring this up because sometimes there are these iconic pictures or stories or moments and the one we just read in genesis 15 is that way now My task this morning is going to be to explain to you why it is that way, because about halfway through, you may have gotten very confused as to what's going on with all these animals and God saying all this strange stuff. And it doesn't seem like it's a very iconic moment, but it's actually one of the most important moments in Scripture. In fact, when I took Hebrew in seminary, kind of the capstone of you taking Hebrew is you have to pick an Old Testament passage and you have to work through and you have to translate it and do all kinds of research and write a very lengthy paper on it. And the second they said I had to do that, I had no question what text I wanted to do. It was Genesis chapter 15. It was this text. This was the text that I spent an entire semester studying, translating, meditating, working through What in the world's going on in this text? Why would I have picked this passage? Why am I saying it's so iconic? Why does it deserve to be burned into our memory like the image that Joe Rosenthal took of the Marines there on Iwo Jima? Well, that's what we want to look at today. Now, remind us, just to give us a little background to this story. In Genesis chapter 12, God's given Abram some great promises. And you remember we looked last week and we saw there were actually four major promises that God gave to Abram. First, he gave him a promise of posterity, that you're gonna have descendants. In Genesis 12, 1 and in 12, two and seven, God said, Abram, I'm going to make you into a nation. He also promised him provision. God said, I'm going to bless you. Furthermore, in verse seven, he specifically said, I'm gonna bless you by giving you land. He said, God, Abram, I'm gonna make you prominent. I'm gonna give you a great name that will go down in history, which in fact has happened. That was in Genesis 12 too. And then he promised Abram protection. He said, no matter where you go or what you do, if anybody blesses you, I'm gonna bless them, but if anybody sets themselves against you, Abram, I will set myself against that person. So there's posterity or descendants, provision, prominence, and protection. And it was summarized, actually, in two great promises in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. In Genesis 12, 7, we read, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, or sometimes we translate that word seed. It literally is the word used for seed. To your seed I will give this land. And Abram built an altar and worshiped God. And so Abram had received these promises but a number of years have gone by, and when we come to our text in Genesis 15, verse 1, God is renewing the promises. And so he comes back to Abram, and he says, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abram, I have promised to protect you. Now, this is important, because in Genesis 14, Abram's gotten involved in a big fight between nine different kings that's going on. Abram had appeared to be very vulnerable. His nephew, Lot, had been captured and taken away as a prisoner of war. So Abram might be worried, saying, what about the protection? And God comes in and says, Abram, I renew my promise, I'm your shield. And also, I'm your very great reward. Abram, I've promised to bless you, you're going to be blessed. This is what God is doing. But Abram has a struggle, and that is God's made the promise, but he's not sure that it's coming true. So notice in verses two and three, God's renewed the promises, and then Abram comes back and says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And actually, we would expect at that point for God to respond to Abram, but he doesn't. There's apparently just silence. And so then Abram brings it up again. And he says, and Abram said, You've given me no children. God, you promised me seed, you promised me offspring. And you may not have noticed, God, but I've gotten older. Sarah's gotten older. Sarah appears to be barren, and there are no children. So, You're making these claims, you're renewing the promises, but you never kept the promise in the first place. You haven't done. There's no children, I wanna believe, but how can I? And if you look a little bit further down in verses seven and eight, we see the second great promise regarding land is also unfulfilled. God says to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of you? You promised me two things, God, seed and land, and so far, you're batting zero. So far, I have nothing. Now, I can't really understand this because I've never struggled. When God promises, I always believe what God says, right? I mean, we never go through an experience where you have a promise from God and a period of time seems to pass, and it doesn't seem to be happening. In fact, the opposite seems to be happening. Anybody ever face that? See, and and we try to get religious. See, one of the things I love about people in the Scripture is Abram's just saying to God, hey, you're talking a good game. You promised me children, no kids. God, you didn't hear me. You promised me, children, this stranger in my house is going to get everything right now, because you haven't fulfilled. And then God renews the promise, and God brings up the land, and Abram says, and by the way, you haven't done that either. So this is the struggle that's going on. Circumstances are eclipsing Abram's faith. How can he know God is going to keep his word? So... See, this is why this is such an iconic text, because if you are honest and you are human, you wrestle with believing God's promises, because it oftentimes seems like they are not true. God seems, because see, he's a God that likes faith. The whole story of Abram is a story about faith, but we don't have faith for things that we already have. We don't have to exercise faith and hope regarding something that we already possess, but rather things that it seems like we're not going to have. And so Abram's struggle is our struggle, if we're honest. So how is God going to respond to this? Well, what we see in this text is God confirms his promises by covenant. Now what he does first is he comes back and he he gives him a sign regarding this question of seed or offspring. This is the famous verse where God takes Abram outside and he says, look, Abram, Eliezer of Damascus is not going to be your heir. You are not going to leave everything I've blessed you with because see, God had actually blessed Abram. Abram is becoming wealthy. Abram is becoming well-known. But, but he's saying, but I have no one to leave it to. And God says, you're not going to have to leave it to Eliezer. And he takes him outside. He says, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring breed. Now, you need to see what God is doing here is he's upping the ante. Abram's saying, I don't even have one child. God says, I'm not interested in just one child. Abram, look up and count the stars. I bet you can't count them, Abram, and I'm telling you, your descendants will be like the stars. You are not going to be able to count them. Now this is a staggering renewal to God's promise, and what I actually love, and and don't miss this, this is something for you to meditate on this week, if you and I walk out and we look up, there's a lot of stars there. But of course, if you're Abram and you're out in the middle of nowhere, has anybody ever been out like in the desert or out? I mean, I can remember being both in India and actually in Niger, Africa, and you get out and you are way, way away from the lights. It's like this is a different heavens up there. There's a lot more stars. But of course, here's what's really staggering. We now know that's just the stars we can see. There are far more stars that we can't see than the ones that we can see. And of course, what looks to us like a star, many of them are not stars, what are they? They're actually galaxies composed of what? I mean millions of stars. So Abram doesn't even really realize how staggering the promise actually is. Because here's something for you God's promises are actually always far more comprehensive, far more staggering than you and I even actually understand in the first place. The truth of looking at God's covenant, it always Far exceeds what the people who were initially getting the covenant were even thinking about. Abram's just looking for one or two kids. God's telling him look up at the stars and Abram might think in terms of thousands. God says, your faith is not big enough. You're not even understanding what I'm doing. Abram, it is more than you can imagine. And then notice Abram's response. One of the most important verses in scripture in Genesis chapter 15 verse six. This is an iconic text. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Abram responds in faith, and God says, that's what I'm looking for. And you need to understand, if you read the story of Abram, he is not a model of always being obedient. We're going to look next week and see that there are times Abram's obedient, but it's pretty much every other chapter. Right. Let's be honest, he does well one chapter, the next chapter he says, Sarah, tell him you're my sister. Not a good idea, by the way, uh, just for for a, a free marriage tip here. Don't tell your wife to say she's your sister, that's not gonna go well. And that's exactly what Abram does. Then the next chapter, he's doing well and he's full of faith. We're gonna see here he believes the Lord, he trusts God. Next chapter, we're gonna get this whole Hagar. Thing going on. Then in chapter 17, he's going to do well again. It's back and forth. Abram wavers. But what Abram doesn't waver, he believes God. And God says, even if you're not obedient, I count you as righteous because you believe. Friends, this is the gospel. This is what the New Testament picks this verse up and it points it out. And it's saying, Abraham is justified exactly like you and I are. There is only ever one way to be counted righteous before God. And it is not based on your obedience because you make Abraham seem steady and so do I. We all fall short. I obey today, I disobey tomorrow. But thanks be to God, my righteousness is counted not on my obedience, but the fact that I am clinging to God's promise by faith the same way Abraham did. And so right here, Abram responds to faith and God says, that's what I like, that is what I count as righteousness. Everything I'm gonna do in the future that you don't even understand, Abram, you're gonna have a descendant, he's gonna come, he's gonna work salvation, I'm giving you his righteousness because there's something in you that believes. That's what God is looking for. And so God gives gracious signs like he does with Abram. And I, and I love because how often is Abram reminded of this sign? Every night. He steps outside, he sees the stars, and every time he sees the stars, what is he reminded of? God has promised me. Just like Noah, every time it rains, you'll step out, you'll look out, you see a rainbow, you're reminded of God's promise. I love that God gives us signs that remind us every day because God wants to confirm your faith and mine. Even in the midst of when it seems like it's not happening, because the amazing thing is this promise is still not going to come true for like another 20 years. But every night, Abram's able to look up at the stars and God says, keep counting, Abram, keep counting. I am going to fulfill my word. Now, That's kind of the first sign. But of course, Abram immediately comes right back. After we're told, Abram, believed the Lord, God says, Abram, I'm gonna give you the land. And immediately, Abram, the man of faith, is wavering. And we read in verses eight and nine, he says, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And, And here's this iconic thing. The Lord says, Abram, I wanna strengthen your faith. Abram, I want to help you. I know you're doubting. I know you're trusting. And I want to do something that's really going to help. So bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, and a dove and a young pigeon. I mean, would that not help you out? (laughs) Guys, I want to tell you, if you are here and your wife is ever struggling, I do this with Linda all the time. Brett, I'm wanting to trust you, but I'm having a hard time. I tell her, honey, get a heifer. (laughs) There's nothing like a heifer that will solve your problem and mine. I mean, what in the world is going on? I mean, this is where if you're Abram, you're like, I I don't think you understand. I don't think that word means what you think it means. (laughs) I'm looking for help. You're telling me to grab some livestock. But see, the amazing thing is, Abram knows what's going on. You and I look at this text and say what in the world? I get the star thing, what's going on here? But Abram doesn't have a question. There's no argument back. Abram just goes and gets the animals and we're told in fact he even knows what to being, uh, what's to be done with him in verse 10. Abram brings all these to him, he cuts them in two, he arranges the halves opposite each other, but the birds he doesn't cut in half, he puts one bird on one side and one bird on another. Notice, there's no instruction from God in what to do. Abram knows, because this is in fact a covenant ceremony. When Abram's told this, God is saying, okay, so you want assurance You want to know, then we're going to make a covenant with each other, Abram. So go get the stuff to have a covenant ceremony. And you don't have to take my word for this. Notice in verse 18, we're told, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So this whole weird ceremony is, in fact, a covenant ceremony. Now, Here's what goes on. Abram is saying, God, how am I going to know? And God says, okay, go get the animals. We're going to do a covenant. And here's what happens. You take the animals, you cut the animals in half, and you make a path like we have in this aisle here down the middle. And you put Half the dead animal over here, and half the dead animal over here. Now, you can imagine if you've got a bull and a goat, and all this, this is a bloody mess. And you do this, and then in the, the blood path in the middle, the two people making covenant walk down between the two animals. In fact, they oftentimes hold hands. And they walk down between it, and you say, I will keep my covenant vows and the other person says and I will keep my covenant vows and we both say together and if I don't keep my covenant vows may I be like this heifer may I be sliced in half may I have my guts spread all over the place and may people walk on my dead body that's how serious I am about keeping the covenant now we know this is the case when I did my study of, in my Hebrew paper, there, these kind of ceremonies were done all, all the time in the ancient world. In fact, we know from the time of Abram, these particular ceremonies were done. It's a great uh, example that we know Abram lived back when they say Abram lived because the, the ceremonies are very particular and they followed this particular one in Abram's day. A similar ceremony happens later on in Israel's history. In Jeremiah chapter 34, the king and the officials, they know they're in trouble. Israel's about to be carried off into exile. And so they get serious with God. Has anybody ever done this? I realize I'm in trouble, so I start making a deal with God. Okay, God, here's what we're gonna do. So they make a covenant. And in Jeremiah 34, verses 8 and 11, we read that uh, King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to proclaim freedom for the slaves. And in fact, we're going to see they did this exact same ceremony. They cut a bunch of animals. They split them up. They walked between them. And the kings and all the rich people said, we are setting the slaves free. It is the year of jubilee. We are going to set them free. And if we don't do what we said we're going to do, may we be like these animals. And then the pressure seems to recede a little bit. Anybody but want to guess what they do when the pressure recedes? I mean, I know you've never done this, but you may have read in a book about people who do this kind of thing. Make a promise to God in the midst of the difficulty, and then as soon as the times start to get better, we kind of forget the promise. Well, that's exactly what they did unfortunately for them, God's not a forgetting God. God's a remembering God. And so in Jeremiah 34, 18 to 20, how would you like to be Jeremiah? These are the kind of cheery messages Jeremiah gets to bring. He comes to the king, and he comes to all the officials and the rich people, and he says this. He's speaking from the Lord. The Lord says, the men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walk between the pieces of the calf, I will hand over their enemies who seek their lives. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. What's God saying? You remember you made a covenant vow? You remember you split those animals in half? You remember you said, I am calling on God to watch and we are going to walk between these pieces and if I don't keep my vow, may I be like these animals? And then they forget the promise. And God sends Jeremiah and says, you may have forgotten, I haven't forgotten. You made a covenant vow, I expect you to keep the covenant vow. You failed at your covenant vow and now the penalty will come down on you. And so you are going to be like the calves that you cut in half. Now let me ask a question. Knowing this, how comforting would it be to have God tell you, go get a heifer? See, I would at that point say, ah, yeah, I got no questions, God. I trust you. I'm good to go. I, I believe you, even if I don't believe you, I believe you. Because this whole walk in between the pieces thing, I don't think this is such a good idea. And in fact, if you notice what happens in the text, Abram sets the whole thing up, and a long period of time apparently happens where Abram's just kind of standing there. I mean, he can walk between the pieces, but Abram's mama didn't raise a fool. Abram all of a sudden says, maybe this wasn't a good idea. Maybe me demanding God prove to me is not a good idea, not because of God, but because of me. And so Abram has to wait, and you hear about the you know the animals, the birds come down, and, they're, and Abram's trying to shoo them off, and he's just kind of sitting there and waiting, like what's going to happen. And then, amazingly enough, and verse 12, we're told the sun's setting, so it's been hours. And Abram falls into a deep sleep. And a thick and a dreadful darkness comes over him. And God even ups the ante. And so, so you want to make covenant? Here's what's in the future, Abram. Your descendants, your seed that we've talked about, They are going to go away into a country, not their own, and they're going to be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. You think you'll be faithful, Abram? You're not being faithful in the good times, Abram. I'm telling you, you've got 400 years to be faithful, Abram. And on top of that, Abram, You're gonna spend 400 years in a land not your own. They're gonna mistreat you. They're going to enslave you. Ready to walk between the pieces, Abram? Mm. Do not wanna walk between the pieces. And Abram lays there. Maybe you should reconsider. But here is the good news. When the covenant is made, Abram is asleep. Abram has nothing to do with making the covenant. Abram has nothing to do with keeping the covenant. Because if making and keeping the covenant is up to Abram, it's going to fail. If making and keeping the covenant is up to Abram's descendants, they are going to fail. If making and keeping the covenant is up to you and to me, there's no hope in God's covenant with us. But thanks be to God, when God makes the covenant, Abram's asleep over in the corner. Kind of like when God made covenant with you and me, you weren't just asleep in your transgressions and sins, you were dead, in your transgressions and sins. And God made covenant and God kept covenant. And so while Abram sleeps, we read in verses 17 and 18 that a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch, which are words that are used in other places for God's presence coming down. They appear and they pass between the pieces, and God makes a covenant with Abram. And make no mistake what God and His grace is doing. Abram, you wanted a covenant. You ought to walk between the pieces with me. But I love you, Abram, and I know you will fail. So I will put you asleep, and while you sleep in the corner, I will take both parts, Abram. I will walk between the pieces for myself and I will walk between the pieces for you. And I will vow to you, I will keep my word. I will be faithful. And furthermore, Abram, I will vow to you, even if you are unfaithful, I remain faithful. The covenant will be kept because you're asleep in the corner and it does not depend on you. Friends, that is the gospel. This is iconic moment right here for Abram and for all of his descendants. God is promising that come what may, the covenant will be kept. And the fact is, Abram will be unfaithful. In the very next chapter, He is wildly unfaithful. Abram's descendants are unfaithful. They constantly forget God and turn away from him. You and I are constantly unfaithful. But God says, if you are unfaithful, the covenant curse will come down, but I will bear the covenant curse myself. This is a promise of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, one has been slain. Make no mistake, one has borne the covenant curse and had his blood spilt. And in so doing, has quenched the righteous wrath of Almighty God. And the one who has done that is not Abram, it's not Isaac, or Jacob, or any of them, It is the true seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you understand this, this is why I wanted to study this text. I wanted to dig in, and I wanted to understand God's covenant faithfulness to me. Friend, what God is promising here is no matter what comes, Abram will never be forsaken. Don't get religious. be honest. There are times you feel forsaken, and so do I. There are times God seems far away. There are times God's promises seem like they are not coming to pass. And the hope is not, I just do the right steps. I just get enough faith. I fill the right formula. The hope is broken body and shed blood. The hope is covenant where the Lord Jesus Christ was split in half and it was done for you and for me. And that means no matter the circumstances, no matter what you feel or I feel, you are never forsaken because Christ was forsaken. You are never cursed because Christ was cursed. The promises of God will never fail for you because Christ was forlorn and cut off in your place to give every blessing of God to you and me. If you understand that, it will transform everything about how you live your life and how I live my life. This is what God is speaking and doing. Now, how do we apply this? What, what does this mean to us? What, is, what does God say to us today? The call from God is to respond in faith. This is what God is calling for us. Notice again, the only thing in the chapter that, that, that we're, where Abram is really an example to us is in Genesis 15, 6, where we read, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And notice when the Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, he spends 11 chapters laying out the gospel, and at the heart of it, where he's gone through and talked about our sin and our unfaithfulness in Romans chapter 3 and said, we we are all, uh, none of us are, are good, none of us seek God, none of us are even trying to walk the right way, and then Paul comes in chapter 4 and says this. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul goes back to this chapter, Genesis chapter 15, and he says, now now here's what we learn. When a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but an obligation, okay? Okay? You aren't going to go to your employer this week and when they give you a check, fall down and say, thank you. I didn't deserve this. No, at the end of the week, what do we say? You owe me this. We made a deal. I worked. In fact, this thing ought to be bigger than it is. I think there's a zero missing on the end. Right? When you work, you get wages. But see, here's the problem. What are the wages you and I have worked for? Death, but notice what Paul goes on. However, to the man who does not work but trusts—and in Greek and Hebrew, the word trust, the word faith, the word belief, its all the same word. There's only one word. Okay, you translated different English words, but so to the man who has faith, the man who believes, God who justifies the who, the wicked. Friends, that's good news right there. It is good news that God doesn't justify those who he says are in the top five percent. That's the way we work. God says, I justify those who say, 'I'm, I'm among the wicked. I know I fall. I know, man, every time I turn around, I'm going off and pulling a Hagar incident. I'm constantly doing this. The one who trusts God who justifies the wicked, his Faith is credited as righteousness. What God is looking for for you and me is the same thing he was looking for from Abram. Do you believe? Friends, we live by gospel, not by law. And thanks be to God. Why Christians want to put themselves back under the law, I do not understand. It is a good thing for us that when covenant is made, we're asleep in the corner. Why we want to say, no, 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 I wanna do this. Let me get it. and walk between the pieces. No, you don't want that. You don't want law. We want gospel. Now we'll look next week and see, does faith produce works? Yes, it does. Faith produces obedience. I want to obey my Father. I want to be pleasing to Him. But thanks be to God, my justification is not based on that. That I don't live by my own works, but by God's faithfulness. I don't live by what I have done, but by what Jesus has done. So, first off, if you are here and you have never embraced Jesus Christ by faith, Here's what's central. Here's the flag going up on Mount Suribachi. Here's the image to have burned into your mind. God credits faith as righteousness. It's not that he takes my faith in place of my works. It's my faith is in Jesus Christ and his works. That Jesus has done everything for me. If you are here and you have never embraced Christ, I I urge you, I plead with you, I call out to you, hear what Abram did, believe the promises of God. You will never justify yourself. Do not think you can walk between the pieces with God and strike a bargain on your own. You will never do that and nor will I, nor will I. But the good news is you don't have to. It is God's free gift. I urge you, embrace it today. Secondly, if you're here as a believer, this is a call for us to trust in God's covenant promises. Friends, circumstances cloud them. The reason Abram keeps wavering is because sometimes God promises something and it takes a long time before it comes to pass. It's just God's very patient, you know. The Lord counts a, a a day as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. You know the whole verse there where it talks about that. And boy, when God's fulfilling His promises, it sure seems to be that way. It can take a long time. I can look at circumstances; it can seem like God's promises are not coming to pass but the good news is God will keep his word. As we began with Hebrews today, God didn't need to take an oath. I mean, this could have been a much shorter chapter. God could have said, I, I'm God. You're asking what, <laughs> what I can do to prove to you I'm going to keep my word. Have you forgot who you're talking to? I'm God, I don't lie. But the amazing thing is God condescended and said, you know what, I'm God, I don't lie. I have proven myself faithful to you, Abram. But you know what? I'll take a covenant oath anyway. Because I want it to be an anchor for your soul. Come what may, whatever storm blows, Abram, I want you to have an anchor. And your anchor is, I am God, I do not lie. And your anchor on top of that is, You are a human and you do lie, but Christ has walked between the pieces for you. He took a covenant oath, and even if you are faithless, he is faithful. Even if you fall short, he never does. And God says that's an anchor for our soul. And so I want to encourage you today. What, What promises of God are you struggling with? It might be something in your own life. It might be something regarding children or grandchildren or you don't understand something that is happening. God wants to minister. My prayer for every one of us coming in here today is I want you to know when you go out, there's an anchor that holds. And the anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's covenant faithful one. What is that thing? In just a minute, Scott's going to come forward and lead us at the Lord's table. And I want you to think through that and respond to what that means. And I want us to receive the good news that your reception of God's promised blessings in your life is not primarily about your obedience. That's good news. It's about Jesus' obedience. And he's already done it. He's already won. He has already borne the covenant curse. So you will never, ever, ever bear the curse and wrath of God. What you have is blessings. And it's all given to you by Jesus Christ. So Scott's going to come forward. And as he does, I want you to think that verse in Romans where Paul says, if God did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Whatever it is you're wrestling with today, I want you to hear and receive God's covenant faithfulness based on broken blood and a broken body and shed blood. Scott.
0: What a great way to apply the word here we are at the at the table it's it's awesome thank you brett um, circumstances eclipsed abram's faith much in the same way it does ours there's there's so often that we allow all the pressures and everything else push us to do something that god doesn't want us to do god hasn't promised us to do um you know it didn't make any sense to abram at this point it it you know he's he, God's given these promises and nothing's happening nothing's coming together it's you know we do the same thing so often in our lives it's like we want to I was just talking to to Linda right in front of me today and and she said you know God's timing is entirely different than our timing so we expect now right now right now God's gonna do this God promised and it's gonna happen tomorrow you know we want we want it today from Amazon right now (laughs) and that's (laughs) that's the world we live in Um, but you know, so he comes, Abraham comes with a plan, as as Brett already said, that he's gonna basically help God along because he's not it's not happening now. He's gonna say, okay, here's here's my here's my heir, God, here's this guy that's a servant in my house, here's my heir. And God says, no. God says, no, Abram, you have it all wrong. He, he, he kind of puts his arm around him. He doesn't do what we would do. We would say, hey, guess what? You failed. I'm going a new direction. I'm moving on. No. God puts his arm around and says, son, I love you, you're wrong. This is where we're going, and I have made a promise to you. And that promise and that covenant is so awesome. Uh, just like Brett said, he, put, he puts Abraham asleep in the corner, and he walks through it, God alone. And that is a picture, a picture of Christ alone. There is only one way that we can come to this table, and that is through Jesus Christ, through grace and faith. By grace through faith, sorry. That we can come to this table, and that is it, and that's all that we have. All that we have is Jesus. All right, I want to go ahead and come to the table. Forgive me if I uh, mess this up, guys. It's the first time around. All right, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body. Sorry. Sorry which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is the new covenant. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread, or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The ushers are gonna go ahead and pass out the elements uh, and as they do, just hold them and we will take communion together. It's all yours. Lord, we know we miss it sometimes thinking that we have to take control, that your promises are not for us, or not big enough for us, Father being drawn to the things that we can control, things that we can do, to things we can do to, to help your promises along, Father. And even as we walk with you, we're easily distracted, we get off path, we, we want to wander in our own strength, Father, and not lean and trust on who you are. Like Abraham, we think we can take control of our situation, forgetting your plan and your purpose, Father. We take this bread, the symbol of our Lord Jesus, in faith that in his body, He served in our place and he has secured our salvation. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, you completed the covenant. It's your faithfulness to us that allows us to come to the Father. You being perfect came down to earth and lived a sinless life. Sacrificing yourself and taking our sins from us, your perfect sinless blood was spilled to pay for our sin. So today, we take this cup, the symbol of your blood, and we drink it in faith, proclaiming that it is sufficient for our salvation. Take and drink. Lord Jesus, what a privilege to be able to come to your throne of grace and partake of the precious sacraments of bread and wine in remembrance of your atoning sacrifice. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying the price for our sins that we may be forgiven. May we never forget the price that was paid on our behalf. May we never forget what has been bought by your precious blood, your blood spilt for us. Thank
1: you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to conclude with a word of benediction. I'm going to be uh, using a benediction out of Hebrews chapter 13, and I encourage you, it speaks of the blood of the eternal covenant. So I encourage you to realize today, just like Abram did on that day thanks be to God. You and I were asleep, but he was being faithful in your place. So now receive the blessing of God. May the God of peace, who through the blood, of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Amen.